Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the podcast. Some quick housekeeping for you. If this is your first time watching or listening to the show, thank you so much for giving me your time. I promise you I won't waste it. I hope that it's an enjoyable experience and you'll come back for more. Please just take a quick second. Follow me on Instagram at Felix.Levine. I post every clip of every episode on my Instagram channel. Um, you'll be updated you know, to the day when new things drop. Uh, all my personal stuff is on there, so go check me out on Instagram at Felix.Levine. DM me. Tell me what you like, what you want to see in the future. I try to get back and look at every single DM I get, so I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to do that. Follow me on TikTok. I know I finally caved at Felix Levine. I'm trying to post a lot of small clips on my TikTok channel so that, you know, more of that short form content. So if you want to just look at a couple minutes here and there, you have the ability to do so. Same thing on my YouTube channel. You'll find every full video version of my shows on YouTube as well as shorter clips from those shows. So search me on YouTube, Felix Levine. I have a channel there um, and I'm really trying to invest in, in that this year. So Go check it out, subscribe, comment, like, all of that good stuff on my YouTube channel. Now let's get into it. And my guest today, he is a very controversial figure to many. He is the person who orchestrated the infamous Fire Festival, which, as many of you saw on Netflix, was one of the most popular Netflix documentaries just a couple years back. Um, if you haven't checked it out after today's episode, I guarantee you you'll be interested in looking into it. This is a very interesting individual. He just spent four years in prison, and uh, he's done a couple interviews, and I'm happy that he's on the show today so I can pick his brain and, and get to the bottom of really what happened. But please give a warm welcome to Billy McFarland. And we're live. Let's Billy. go, Felix. <laughs> yeah. Billy, honestly, I am. Uh, I'm super happy to have you here. Thank you for uh, for coming on, and uh, we're gonna get into it. We're gonna get into it. Can't wait. And like, I feel like I've seen the gamut of every kind of podcast setup over the past month, and you got a pretty cool space here. Thank you. So I, that, yeah. that means so a lot. Let's, let's go in. I'm gonna show. I'll show you after what it looked like before. Okay. And uh, it was a fucking process. But anyways, yeah. Nice. Is there a little tidbit, a little story, a little something the world doesn't know about? Billy McFarlane, and God knows that there's a, quite a few things out there. Interesting. Uh, I'm not very good at it, but I really miss flying. And um, Fire Festival started by like me bouncing around in these small propeller planes with a couple of like friends who are pilots, and like just like learned to do it a little bit, just because we're on these like long trips. And I think after being in jail for so long, like I missed that freeing feeling of flying really badly so i wouldn't get into a plane with me wouldn't recommend it but <laughs> definitely miss doing it yeah i was re-watching the the doc today and uh this like zero gravity shit yeah. where you just turn the engine off looks a little dangerous dude no? it's insane and so like i haven't and dumb dumb as fuck no i haven't seen the docs but so underrated in terms of like why did this not get more coverage like <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> like also because you're in there with like Haley bieber and so i think like the most insane thing is we were taking these <laughs> like 1960s propeller planes that just clearly aren't fit to fly and this is so bad and I'm, i apologize to everybody for this but like taking like a-list talent 
and like you know billionaire like, investors like and turning the engines off and like why is no one telling us this like, is a bad idea? Like talk about the legalities of all the other dumb shit you <laughs> exactly. did, but like this is this is honestly it's up there. I think it's top three. It's crazy. And like we've had like oil spills or like the gas tank just breaks and like the whole side of the plane just gets washed with gas. Like we have engine failures. We got struck by lightning. Like everything that could have gone wrong, except for like literally somehow dying seemed to happen. I feel like. I feel like you've been close to death a few times, yeah, both physically, sure. emotionally, mentally. Yeah. You feel that way? Yeah, I think my pilot Keith didn't want to pay for the extra gas to make it to the runway, so he landed in some guy's backyard in Vermont in the middle of the winter. So that was. I mean, this that, that, that's pretty I close. Mean, that, where, where like, do you, why did that not, not get blown up more? Like it's just like a wild story. <laughs> so speaking of not watching the doc, you yeah. so you, I'm curious. Like, what is the reason why? It's just like, is it triggering? Is it so when they came out, I was like seven months into my jail sentence. And I was just still coming to terms with like what actually happened and like the, the gravity of my lies and my crime at that point. And I felt like the stories I was hearing, like we, we had TV in jail. So it was all like the TMZs and the morning talk shows. So they were dramatizing a lot of the stories. And my initial response was like, fuck you. Like that guy was never around. Like, why is he talking about this? And I was like getting angry. And I think it would just wouldn't have been appropriate for me to try and respond at that point. And like, thankfully, the jail wouldn't let me do anything, but I wasn't ready. Would you Would you watch like 30 seconds of it? I think an idea that uh, someone brought to me a couple of weeks ago is that I should do a live stream watching party it. where I'm watching it with some of the key characters and just like yeah. go for four hours, crush some tequila and like watch a doc. It, like it should do like a fight companion. I know you're a big UFC fan. I don't know yeah. if you've seen like these no. fight companions that no. like Rogan and Brendan Schaub do, but they'll like watch the fights at the same time and do like a live commentary. Oh really? Okay, I'll, I'll watch one of those this so weekend should, and get an idea for you it. You yeah. should do fight that. Fight companion. I was going to ask you to watch 30 seconds, but I won't. I yeah. feel like you should save it for your for your Yeah, I want to do this do, like, live whole, stream. Like a whole, because honestly... I think it's a good idea, like a fight competitive comparison. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, like you do, like you like chuck it on TV like this. Yeah. Like literally in this setting, yeah. you ch chuck it on a TV and then like as it's going, you like you comment on it. Yeah. I feel like you'd be like pissed half the time. Yeah. It's like a weird, the way I, I, I hadn't watched, I watched it like three, four years ago yeah. when it came out and then mm -hmm. I just rewatched it this morning. And it's like a weird progression. I'd be curious to, I'll be, I'll watch your, your reaction to it. But it's like in the beginning, it's like fun and games. Yeah. And then the end is like bad, 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 really? bad, bad, bad. And it gets it gets worse, worse, worse. So I'm gonna start by thinking, okay, this wasn't as yeah, bad. Yeah, and then and then yeah. by the end, I be because pissed. by the end it gets to the people, mm -hmm. and I think that's what's like the hardest part yeah. for me. And and you know, even when I when I was thinking the past couple of days, knowing that I was gonna have you on, it's like what angle did I want to approach this by? Because you know, I watched Nelk and I watched Piers and I watched all these other mm -hmm. different appearances you did. And I think at the end of the day, like what I'm curious about is like is like you, like the person yeah. sitting in front of me right now, because. I've gone through like a, an up and down on, sometimes I'm like, this guy's the biggest con artist of mm -hmm. all time. Sometimes I'm like, this guy's actually a nice guy. He just mm -hmm. fucked up badly. Sometimes I'm like, fuck, four years might not have been enough. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. eh, you know, it's fine. What do you What do you think of, of yourself today? I think like my emotions have mimicked your exact thought process, but I've had five years to like yeah. go in that journey. So yeah, it's been a lot of ups and downs. And I think like, underlying everything i just went totally wrong for a period of time and like however many months or years or whatever it was like pre-fire where i just like went wrong there's no making up for that in a certain way but i think like underlying it like i'm kind of a pussy in a lot of ways too and like i just want to make everybody happy so like i think it's 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 complex and you know definitely lost my path it is complex and i think for me what fascinates me from the psychological is is the psychological perspective mm -hmm. is like getting to know you and your brain and how it functions and there were different themes that came up for me over time 
And I think it was one podcast that was that was great host. I think it's Diary of a CEO. Yeah. He's a great host. Oh, he's a savage. He's a savage. <laughs> and he was kind of talking about this idea of, of proving yourself. Mm-hmm. And when I was listening to that, like, I'm not like, if you, if people want to go watch that interview, they 100% should. It's an awesome interview. But I want to take a different angle where it feels like this all could come from a place of insecurity. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like you were insecure? Do you feel like you are insecure? Interesting. So I was just talking about this, like not on a podcast the other day with a friend. And I just met up with a couple of my former investors for fire that I haven't spoken to or seen in five or six years. And their initial reaction is like, why do you not have more humility right now that you've, because you failed like so much. And I think I started talking to them and thinking about it. And I had like the most fake confidence in the world in the lead up to fire. And I was so scared to show that there was anything wrong for fear that people wouldn't like me or wouldn't like want to work on fire. And I had five years to kind of go through that cycle where I felt like a piece of shit and like worthless and kind of rebounded from that. And now I feel like I've gained just like real confidence from like the shit eating life experiences I went through. So just interesting seeing from like is this investor perspective where the, la- the last they saw me like with this overblown fake confidence and now I have real confidence to a certain extent and they were trying to get their mind around like that process. What do they, what do they say to you? Um, what did they say to you? I'm super sheltered in that almost everybody who reaches out to meet with me who is like an established person only does so if they have positive intentions. I think we were talking off camera, but most people who have like a life and a family and a business they're not going to go out of their way to like shit on somebody because they have their own problems and like their own aspirations. So I don't think I really know what like the mood is like amongst like the general people I used to work with because I'm only hearing from the ones who see some underlying positive. And so, but when you talk to those investors, mm-hmm. is it is it just like, a, hey, I'm back or is it for, for all the ventures that we'll talk about in a second? It's just more of like apologizing and... I think it's more of like an emotional need, probably on both parts. Like one for me is I want to, I want to be forgiven one day and it's not going to happen like this year or next year. I think for them is they want to come to terms with like why they were misled or why it went so wrong. So I think both sides kind of have that emotional need and it'll take years to, to rebuild. And is there, are there any of them that, that say that they would invest in any one of your ventures again? I think like, yes, but I've, stopped those conversations like i'm not here for the financial talk with like a former investor i think it's like i'm sure i'm doing it a lot of my own emotional needs too but i think like that's what i'm trying to seek rather than money and what speaking of those emotional needs like what do you feel like today are your emotional needs i feel like the people who backed me since i was like 19 or 20 then when i came to them four or five years later for fire and said hey guys like you've seen me fail and succeed in little ways for five or six years like this is bigger like please like up your check size and they did it without question that trust i violated i think was the worst crime and those are the people that i feel i think like the most hollow meaning that i need to like make it up to them and show that i'm not as bad as i was for that period of time when i abused their trust right i think also in watching the doc again the two groups of people that i think stood out to me as the most the ones that i hope that at the end of the day find the the most comfort emotionally and financially mm-hmm. are your fire staff, mm-hmm. like the team, mm-hmm. fire media, I think is what it's called. Yep. Um, and then you'll see in the doc, um, I think it's these two two people from the Bahamas workers. Mm-hmm. Colombo, I think is one of his name. Maybe, or there's one, 
he, he's you'll see at the end um that's he's the last image and and i think he's one of like the people that was like managing the other people okay i don't know if his name is colombo um and then there's a woman this one was i think the really the most heartbreaking was the one uh she she was like kind of like feeding the workers yeah and she had a restaurant there and like mm -hmm. used a lot of her savings i think at the end of the day those are investors obviously is important yeah but like those are the people that I feel like you can redeem yourself with mm -hmm. the most. Yeah. And I think those are the ones that matter, right? Because, you know, not to like, I'm in the process of starting my own company right now, a startup as well. And your team is everything. Mm -hmm. And I think you know that as well. For sure. And I feel like, I don't know. Do you feel like that's, is I it think hard to let down your team in that sense? It's, it, there's a lot there. It's a lot to unpack. I think the people who are working and are legitimately owed that's super, super important to me. Uh, I never met the, the lady with the restaurant. Right. I've obviously heard stories about it, yeah. but- you know, if she is owed, like getting her paid is right. very, very important to me. And like getting everybody in the Bahamas who's owed paid, it's yeah. going to happen soon. So like I'm doing it. I have a lot of like ventures in place for the sole purpose of making that happen. I think the team is just like such a clusterfuck oh, yeah. in like <laughs> my is. mind. And just going through my like my, my remorse process, like workers who weren't paid totally fucked up. I need to dedicate my life to paying them. People like investors I lied to totally fucked up. I deserve to be punished, go to jail, whatever else happened. Like I need all of that because I was totally wrong. I just feel like I was attracting a lot of bad people on my team who really? were in it for like, they wanted the shortcut of being famous. They wanted the shortcut of experiences that they hadn't yet earned in their life. And so I had a lot of shitty people working with me. Doesn't, not to say that I wasn't underlyingly wrong and guilty for everything and like owed them in some capacity, but just like attracted a lot of scumbags based on my scumbag behavior at the time. Right, I was about to say like, yeah. couldn't, couldn't somebody make the argument that you were also trying to find those shortcuts to fame as well? 100%. And like, so like my behavior just attracted people yeah. who shared similar right. mentality. And what's so crazy is like now having like no money, I'm able to find like such better people to work with because I think of finding people who are more in it for like the process and the camaraderie rather than like, how can they find a jet with a model to the Bahamas tomorrow? before they've actually made it that far in their life. And I think too, what's interesting about you is like, some people say they experience highs and lows. Like yeah. you literally experience the highs, yeah. highest highs being on a you know beach with Bella Hadid and God knows whoever, whoever else yeah. to being in solitary confinement. Yeah. So when I first got to jail, they made me go work in the in the shit house, they called it. What, what's in the shit house? Uh, it was nothing, but like they're like, they they hung up like a like a sign on the wall that said from the penthouse to the shit house. <laughs> and like, the guards thought it was really funny. So what was that? that? So, so what, you know, we'll talk about jail yeah. in a second, but like, mentally mm -hmm. like describe the the going from that high to that low i think like my entire life has been based on this theme that i need to create my own momentum and the only way to make anything happen in this world is to like create momentum and that was all just by like doing nonstop. and obviously i started doing bad which is like no excuse and terrible but jail is a complete opposite mentality where doing gets you in trouble and prison is designed to like stop your ambition and stop your creativity and basically make you walk in a straight line when they say go. So the entire like theme and thesis of my life was like 180 degree approach from jail. In terms of like the physical comforts, like I didn't really give a shit. It was more of like a mentality that I just can't do anything. That just crushed me and made it really hard. And so when you can't do anything, mm -hmm. what it what do you like what do you what did you think about mostly, especially when you're in solitary? Yeah. It's just brutal. And like you're just like locked in a concrete nine foot by whatever seven or eight foot cage and what do you think about everything about flying 
scuba diving, swimming, girls, food, <laughs> alcohol, like everything. But do you think about how you're never going to have that again or that you might have it again or that you wish you had it again? I think like there's periods you go through like a week where you just feel like a scumbag for like all the mistakes you made. And there's periods where like this is like inhumane and I just want to like, you know, have a basic human connection with somebody. And like your mind just like goes from extreme to extreme and having no one to like bounce those thoughts off of I think this takes all your like mindset to like really crazy places. And I wanted to ask you something too, and this is definitely even way more personal. Yeah. Is so you went in there held? I uh, got arrested at twenty five, was on bail for a year, so so right. officially started my sentence at twenty six. So as a twenty six year old male, yeah, in jail, especially solitary, et cetera, mm-hmm. who's experienced pr- some pretty big highs in mm-hmm. terms of women, et cetera. Mm-hmm. How is the, how do you survive the lack of intimacy, both mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. and emotionally? So I think like that's everybody's hardest part of jail is just like not having contact, whether like verbal or, or physical with someone you care about. That's just the hardest part for sure. And there's no, there's no answer to it. And people lash out, whether it's like they do fucked up things in jail, they break the rules like I did, or they become like workout fanatics like people try to find an outlet to fill that gap and it's hard because like we're meant as humans to be surrounded by people we care about and love like right that's all of our like innate desires so just taking away our ultimate purpose as like an animal is just super fucking difficult to deal with did you feel loved while you were in jail uh no and i think no one does and like that's the hardest part for sure and you can always tell when someone like had a phone call or received a letter from a spouse basically saying, Hey, I'm done. Or like, you know, a family member dies and like just realizing that whatever hope they were grasping onto, is just like fading away. That's like the toughest thing. It's just like watch people just like drown into this abyss of just nothingness. And it's fucking sad. And for you, like, did you feel, who did you feel support from parents? I had a couple of like close friends and family members who just, did way more than probably anybody else would have or, or should have. And I was lucky for that. And I think that like there's a really interesting concept of jail where people would like brag that they still have someone who's willing to pick up their phone call or send them a card or like, God forbid they got a visit. Like that was a highlight of six months and they would run around a week before like getting haircuts and like pressing their uniforms mm-hmm. just to show off that they had someone who actually came to see them. It's, it's so sad. Did you, what would, what did you say your, your number was at while you were in jail? Number of people that loved you? Five, give or take. Did that, how did that kind of weigh on you while you were there, realizing that your currency is five? I think the hardest part was like, one, just feeling super bad for people who had no one. And people would try to like fake it and they would pretend to like write letters and like pretend to call someone. It's just like so fucking sad, right? It's crazy. And it's you, like, you went to MCC and uh, you went Brooklyn and Manhattan? I went to MDC in Brooklyn okay. to start. That's the one on, on Atlantic? Yeah. And that, that play, place oh, is brutal. Yeah. That place, yeah. I drive by there every day. Yeah, it's brutal. What describe just the, it's, I, the I walked by it one day and it's so fucking depressing. Like I can't even look at the building. Like <laughs> just seeing the grates and like the on the side of the wall. What, so. Describe what it looks like on the inside. Um, it's basically like a two tier oval. It's almost like maybe let's say like a eighth of a mile like style. It looks like it's coming like an eighth of a mile track but with cell doors with maybe six inches between the cell doors. It's like around these two levels. And yeah, it's fucking brutal. You can't go outside. 
they have one room where like a quarter of the wall is like a grate. So you can't really see, but some air comes in and that's about it. And what do you think? Do, do you know you're going to get out one day or, or no? You don't like, you, you lose, you lose touch with reality. And especially in my second stint in solitary, ended up doing seven months straight. And I had no idea how long it was going to last. And they just kept telling me like, hey, McFarlane, like, fuck you, you're in here forever. And like, of course that wasn't reality, but I, you can't, you stop like losing grips of like what the reality is. That's scary. And first, did you feel like, Throughout your life in general, though, you struggled with understanding reality? Interesting. Um, good question. I, I guess probably to a certain sense. And I think I was always trying to push the bounds of what reality was. But I think it's a little different than when you're locked in a cage right. and people who are the authority figures are telling you lies to fuck with you mentally. Like, they know what they're doing, right? It's like, I'm far from the first and far from the last that they're going to do that to. And it's just like... Yeah, it's a different world. But it just kind of feels like throughout mm -hmm. even the last five, six, seven years that reality is a weird one for you. You know what I mean? Whether it's sure. the reality of jail, whether it's or not knowing what the reality is or yeah. the reality of fire or whatever it might be. It's like you almost wonder if your reality is what other people's reality is. You know, and some people yeah. in the dock, they make the argument that you're a sociopath. Mm -hmm. Like, are you a sociopath? Do you think you're a sociopath? I, I really don't think so. So, <laughs> I mean, I think like that's the one thing that like pissed me off. I think the most <laughs> times like you're a sociopath, and it's just like it's just hard. It's hard to hear. Just, yeah, of like, course, it's hard crazy. to hear. Yeah. Do you like when you assess your mental state today? Mm -hmm. Where is it at? I mean, it's got it's it's hard. Like people, yeah. it's hard for it's hard to get people to feel bad for you, right? Because yeah. most people don't want to. But when I'm looking at it, I'm like, as a human, yeah. you know, yeah, you fucked up. But I'm more curious, like. <laughs> How are you today? Like, are you okay? Yeah, I think like I'm really bad at taking sympathy or compliments. Yeah. And like, I just like don't hear it if I ever receive yeah. any of that. And, but at the same time, like I just feel really bad for people who I can't actually help in a certain way too. So it's kind of like this weird thing I've always had. Like, you know, if I see like a guy in the street struggling, like it'll bother me for two hours. But then someone tells me, hey, like they did a great job today. And like, I don't hear them. So it's like a weird, you know, I don't know. Are you so, always searching? So it's kind of mm -hmm. like, well, I don't know if it's exactly that, but in a way, are you always kind of searching for validation? Mm -hmm. and, and and you can't, but you can't accept validation? That's interesting. Probably, yeah, I certainly can't accept it. So I guess it's like an ongoing search, but even if it's given in whether in a small or big way, I don't receive it. It's just kind of like deflect it. But why, why do you think that is? I'm not sure. Yeah. But like if you, if you had to, if you had to change one thing about you mm -hmm. today, not mm -hmm. the, the Billy of the past. Yeah, today, interesting. What okay. would it be? Whew. I'm like just learning so quickly right now. It's been four and a half months since my sentence ended, almost five months. So things are still like happening quickly. And it's like, I don't know my place yet, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I don't know what I need to change at this point. Ah, oh, man. I think I have like a hangover from solitary a little bit mm -hmm. where I think I get paranoid about like ridiculous shit. Like I'll have like an aunt text me who's like 70 years old and be like, oh my God, they're going to think she's saying this and like, yeah. I want to go to jail again. Like it's so ridiculous, right? Mm. But I think it's like overthinking situations now having experienced like what could possibly happen. I think I take negative things and start weighing the extreme consequence that is highly unlikely to happen. That's a little hard. Is your biggest fear going back to jail? For sure. And how do you make sure you, you don't? I wish I had the answer. <laughs> like, But there's part of that kind of... You got to respect it, right? And we'll talk yeah. about pirate in a second yeah. in your other ventures. But mm -hmm. like, and I'm just going off of some of your the interviews that I've seen. Yeah. But like, you're getting out of jail and you're right back at it. 
yeah. you know, and to some people they're like, you know, like if you literally, and I, and I did, I like to do this with my guests. I'll just Google their name and see what comes up. Mm-hmm. And the people that are, uh, that other people have searched for are Anna Sorokin, mm-hmm. um, Bernie Madoff, crazy. Um, which, which is funny because that actually was suggested to me after the fire festival doc. Um, crazy. and then ba- you, you get the concept. Yep. Um, so it's like, how do you, how do you like, because you had two options really when you got out, like fucking hide in a hole yeah. and just say, fuck it, my life is over. Sure. Or take it by the balls, which you have. And, mm-hmm. you know, people might hate you, but you, others are going to really respect you for it yep. and go get it. Mm-hmm. Like, did you know that you were going to do that right when you got out? Was the goal, I want to get right back into it? Yeah, for sure. It's like in the last like year of jail, my mentality switched where it's like, I want it all and I'm going to fucking go for it. And I think it's like comes from two different factors. One is the need to make people whole. And that's like whole emotionally as much as it is financially. But I want to be able to go look everybody in the eye who I wronged and be like, yeah, I made it up to you. And like, that's huge. And two is when I went to solitary the second time, it was for using the pay phone to record a podcast. And like, I had no money. I'm like in solitary, no communication. And like the lack of power that I had, I contributed to me staying there for longer. You know, if I had an extra million dollars to hire a great lawyer, like I would have gotten out in a week. So I think it's kind of like this fear of, what can happen to you when you have no power and no resources and seeing a lot of guys in jail who don't have power and resources and how they get taken advantage of. I'm scared to like be poor like I am now for the rest of my life to not be able to fight back. But do you think like, what's your motivation? Is it power? Is it money? It's like, it's freedom. And like the freedom to like walk down the street knowing that I see someone and like, they know I made it up to them and the freedom to know that like, I can't get locked in a cell for seven months for no reason. And I mean, is it is it easy or hard to 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 try to live life and not feel like you know like ashamed every day? Yeah, because that's a tough one. You know, like I as a human, strip away all the shit you did, mm-hmm. right? But it's like if you wake up every morning with you know, kind of feeling you have to tuck your tail in between your legs, like yeah. out of embarrassment and shame. It's like it's not a good way to live either. Mm-hmm. So I've had like it's almost six years since everything went to hell. So I went through maybe the first four years where like my guilt myself was super high and I'm mostly past that now. And I feel like I need to respect people not understanding if had six fucking years to deal with this. So yeah, I've been able to move past that like recently. And now it's like, Hey, how can I just, just fucking go for it and make things happen? I'm curious. There's one thing I want to ask you too, is, uh, the day when you knew you were going to jail, um, did you sit down with your, like, at what point did your parents know that you were going to jail so i as soon as i got back to the u.s from the festival you had an early wake-up call yeah the the investigation was it was on and i knew i was guilty whether i could admit it to myself or not like i knew that day i was guilty and i'd be going to jail so it like wasn't a secret it was it's like yeah and i fucked up did you sit your parents down and tell them i don't know i don't know if i did a good enough job i try to make it clear that like yeah i fucked up who is the per- who's the person is there if there's one person just one that you feel like you let down the most, hmm. who would it be? Emotionally, like family certainly took it the hardest, friends. But I think that like, the I feel most guilty for the people who took a negative backlash in their life who truly did nothing wrong. So like whether it's parents, friends, cousins, like even some of the investors who are made to seem like they were like, you know, pushing me up to become this like fraudster, which is all total bullshit. The people who were unfairly portrayed 
for the benefit of the media or somebody else like that's fucked up the one investor that they talk about the most in the doc mm-hmm. not to spoil it is mm-hmm. corolla mm-hmm. have you talked to her since you got out no i haven't but like she did absolutely nothing wrong and it's like so crazy that like she did what any other venture capitalist does right like they take a bet and then they, they go for it it's like it's just absurd that that gets like turned into like this crazy story do you realize how good you are at convincing people no See, that's, yeah. maybe maybe that's the danger. But one thing back to her, which is totally fucked up, is the producer behind the Netflix show, they met with her and said, like, interview with us and we'll make you look bad. Or if you don't interview with us, we're going to make you look like a piece of shit. So it's like, yeah. it's like so like unethical, right? And like, I'm no one to speak because like I was wrong too. But like, if you're portraying a piece of media as a truth and you basically go to a person and threaten them, like do or, do or die type of thing, like that's just fucked up. So, but wait, I want to go back yeah. to, to this though. Because I think, you know, when I think of your skills, yeah. you're, you have to know that, what do you think are your, are your top three skills? Mm-hmm. I think it's just like finding crazy people and bringing them together. And it's like convincing them to do stuff that is outside of their daily life. So I, I guess there is like convincing aspect to it, but it's more of like, how can you encourage someone to grab life by the balls and just go for it? And, but do you, do you real, do you think that there's an issue to that at times? I think the only issue comes when I start lying, right? If right. I say, hey, like, we're going to go fly in this plane and it's super dangerous, do you want to do it? It's okay. But if I say, hey, this plane is totally safe, it's not okay. Did you know that you were lying? I mean, well, yeah. you knew that you were lying, but, like, did you actively, like, say things knowing that it was a lie for the pure sake of a lie? Because the way mm-hmm. I also kind of see yeah. see it is that, like, and a lot of people will never understand this, but like you were in so fucking deep mm-hmm. that at some point you were just trying to dig something out. Yep. It's kind of it's kind of the sentiment. Sure. I don't know if you felt that. So I never, I didn't have the maturity to know that I was hurting people by lying. Like it's crazy as it sounds. I truly thought that the best way to make everybody happy was to pull the festival off and they're all gonna, whether it's make money or get the fame they want or like, you know, have the resume item. Like that's how I thought I could do best for everybody not realizing the lies I was telling people were making that impossible. So yeah, I just like didn't, I, I just like lost track of my moral compass. Was there ever a point while you were trying to finesse this whole festival to actually happen that you knew, that you thought about like, if it doesn't happen, I could go to jail? No, which is so crazy. Did you like, think about what would happen if it didn't happen? I just never thought it wasn't going to happen. There I, had to be some some yeah. part of you that, that maybe could imagine like, if this doesn't, because like, even like, like a pure numbers game, right? If a thousand people are coming and you only have fucking 310s, yeah. right? You knew like, where the fuck the other 700? I just like couldn't comprehend any challenge as insurmountable. And like, it's, it was so wrong, but like everything that came up, it's like, okay, we'll figure this out and we have to. There was never like, oh, maybe we can't. It's like, no, we have to. So let's fucking do it. Well, it almost feels like you don't understand the word no mm-hmm. or not possible. Yeah. Right? Do you feel I, like I you think, have a better idea of what that means now? Yeah, I, I think I've learned. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, and it's I great. And, and I think yeah. it's it's. I think you're also an interesting case because there's so many qualities that you have that that super successful people have, mm-hmm. right? The idea that you're you're solutions oriented, yeah. right? That you'll that you don't take no for an answer. That you know you will you'll work 24 hours if you need yeah. to. All great things, but this is like the one. It was the one event. It, it's those are great qualities in 90 percent of yeah. events. Then there's a 10 percent of events, fire festival included. That mm-hmm. it's like this is that's how you truly like blow the fuck up. But if you're honest, you can balance out and like amplify the good in that. And that's where it is to like fuck. The, yeah, it's like it's, so simple. But it's, if you were honest with it, okay. But the truth is, like, if you were honest with investors, what happens then? 
I think it would have gotten help. I think there's a point where it's like, you need to recalibrate. Like we did our announcement, right? We right. announced fire. It went crazy. Tickets were sold. Everybody in the world wants a meeting with me. Like the who's who of you name the industry is coming to our fire right. office. I could have sat down with my investors at that point and been like, hey guys, like, I don't think I can do this in four months. Like I need help. And they would have helped. You think so? A hundred percent. But it was, it was an ego thing? I think I was like, I just didn't know the reality. I, I was too afraid to admit any weakness. And I thought that people would leave me if I showed I was weak. It kind of feels like you owe, it, when watching and, and listening to at least the past, Billy, mm -hmm. in a lot of ways, it's like you just wanted not just validation, mm -hmm. but I think you wanted love. You wanted people to see you as this great person. I wanted camaraderie. At the same time, I wanted to be like put up on the pedestal, right? And right. I was afraid that- Ego. If anything was wrong, like if I admitted like, you know, I admitted I couldn't sleep last night, I'd scare someone away from like working with me. And I think now though, people are gonna realize that like the fact that you can admit mm -hmm. is, I think people wanna get behind somebody who who can say, I'm not perfect. Yeah but I'm gonna fucking bust my ass off to, mm -hmm. to do my best, right? Yeah. And I think that, and, I, and I'm curious, like when, when you have conversations and you're onboarding people now for Pirate, which we'll talk about in a second, yeah. it's like, how is, what's your approach as, as a leader? Like this, like guys totally fucked up, don't have shit right now and this probably won't work, but if it does work, it's a crazy like life journey and let's build a relationship now and see what happens in 10 years. Versus before, it's like, hey, I'm going to pay you more than everybody else. Yeah. You're going on a jet this weekend. Like, that shit just like attracts the world's worst people. And so, with Pirate now, yeah. right? Will you just give a quick, you know, quick synopsis, a quick pitch of what it is for people that aren't familiar with Yeah, listening? it's all about taking people to these life experiences, like whether in person or virtually, that they never could have done before. Specifically, Bahamas. Yeah. You want to go back? Ideal is like taking over a little hotel, replicating these like weekend trips, which are incredible. And then using like tech and virtual reality to open them up to the rest of the world. And for the people that are like, this guy's fucking ballsy. He yeah. want to throw a festival and now he kind of wants to do something similar and then mm -hmm. eventually a festival. Like, what do you, what do you say to them? I think like this, the coolest thing is that there's no rush. And literally my personal burn rate is as low as it's been since I was 16 years old. Jesus. So I'm 31 now. So like literally in the past 15 years, I've like the lowest need for like capital. And I'm not in a rush this time. I think I know what I did well. I really know in the areas I need help. So I'm just gonna wait until I can get help in the areas I need it and wait until the areas that I'm good at can grow to a point where I'm just doing something that's going to make an impact. And so people know it's public. You owe, I think, some 26, 27 mm -hmm. million dollars in restitution. A, have you figured out how that works? Yeah, so basically all of my income, a percentage of that has to go back to restitution. So, you know, it's hard. It's like it's significant and it adds up and it's like pre-tax. So basically you're paying double. Like, like, are you allowed to buy yourself like shoes? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, but I have to, I have to make the money first. Right. So there's no, it's more about like, right. You're allowed to live if you're earning, but it's, it's hard. Are you allowed to have like credit cards and stuff like this? Uh, I don't have a credit card. I'm not really sure. I just have like, you know, shitty debit cards. So yeah. Cause I'm yeah. sure they, they, they keep you away from credit now. Yeah. So I, I, don't, I don't even know if that's a thing. Like I never asked him. <laughs> And now we're just going to take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime sponsor in U.S. Wellness Meats. At uswellnessmeats.com, you can choose from over 350 foods raised the way nature intended. That includes 100% grass-fed and grass-finished beef, lamb, bison, elk, and dairy. They also have pasture-raised heritage pork, wild-caught seafood, and pasture-raised poultry. These are some of the host of foods that you can find at uswellnessmeats.com where the owners are the actual farmers themselves and now they've introduced a subscription 
food delivery service, and curated sample farm bundles. Choose the bundle of food you want to receive every month, and they'll deliver it right to your door automatically. It's never been easier to serve your family real, honest-to-goodness food without the junk. U.S. Wellness Meats is the choice of championship sports teams, professional athletes, chefs, world-class trainers, and families just like yours all over America. Use promo code PODCAST, that's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to save 15% off of every order at uswellnessmeats.com. Now let's get back into it. How does one go from living the way you were living yeah. to then being okay living the, the way you're living now? Dude, it's so much more relaxing. And like, yeah. and I think my biggest problem before is that no matter whether I had 10 grand or for $10 million in my, in my bank account, I was pushing it to the limit, right? Mm-hmm. If I had 10 grand, I was going to dinner in a club that night and spending 9,900. If I had 10 million, I was chartering four jets and renting three islands and, and two yachts and spending 9.9 million. So it's like, no matter what I had, I was pushing it to the limit. So I was never comfortable. And like, even the days when I had, you know, many, many millions, like sitting in an account, I was still trying to find a way to like overspend. And like, it was super stressful. So I prefer being the guy now who's like, you know, just not even like caring or thinking about going crazy. What, what Matt, other than the relationships and building trust and all this stuff, like what, if somebody asks you like, why do you live today? Yeah. I think like the one big difference is that I just can't do like crazy shit. And like, I need that adrenaline in life. So I need to like find in a certain way, but I need to find like hobbies, I think to like push to the limits now, just because I can't like go hop on a plane and just like go scuba dive somewhere crazy where I'm not supposed to be maybe one day I'll get back there. But I think it's like a thirst to just like live life to the fullest, but then have like camaraderie along the way. And it's just so far out because like, I can't go to crazy places until I pay everybody back and I can't have like camaraderie until I rebuild that trust. So it's an uphill battle. You know, I think it's also, so on on my show, I've had um, multiple former criminals. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Are you, are you familiar with John Gotti senior? Uh, I've heard the Former name. Mobster. Yeah, yeah. So I, I had his hitman on John okay. A. Light. Okay. Who's killed mo- many people. Yeah. Um, and John and I actually had a show for a while. You should watch this documentary. For, okay. well, I don't know if you're on Netflix these days, yeah. but fear city, New York, okay. West, the mafia. Anyways, John is, he's, he's a big, uh, person now. Yeah. And him and I've gotten extremely close. Okay. And a lot of people always ask me like, he's killed people. He's done this. He's done that. And this is a guy who did seven years in solitary, mm-hmm. right? Damn. Straight. Is he, is he normal now or no? The craziest part yeah. is like in a room of 10 people, he's probably more normal than eight of them. Crazy. Yeah, and you know, when I- He has like a mental strength that- It's unreal. And yeah. and in a way, I almost kind of want to introduce you guys just yeah. not to, you know, just because I, I think what I admire from him, mm-hmm. and, it's, and it's hard for people who don't know him or have spent the time that I've spent with him, is he made it his life's mission when he got out mm-hmm. to not just say the things that sound good on TV, but like to do them, right? Like yeah. he goes to schools and he talks to to kids who are at risk of being of living a life of crime. And he tells them like, don't do it. It's not worth it. And this is talk yeah. about a guy who had millions. Yeah. I mean, millions yeah, yeah. monthly, right? Mm-hmm. Cash mm-hmm. in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Um, he's like, it's not worth A, it's yeah. not worth it. Mm-hmm. But then one moment that I'll I'll remember for the rest of my life is last spring. We were outside, it was like 70 degrees and sunny, and I was like, did you ever imagine you'd be outside like this? Because he had just finished telling me how he, he didn't see sunlight for seven years. He didn't, oh, he didn't breathe fresh air for seven years. And he was like, Felix, like I was just thinking about it a few minutes ago. Like this is, I, this is the best shit ever. Yeah. Like just being able to see trees. Yeah. Being able to breathe. And he's like, at the end of the day, this, and this is a guy who got out when he was 50, 52 years old or something like that. Damn. So it shows me that people like you, mm-hmm. like if you do it the right way, you'll have a good rest of your life. That's so cool. And like, he has a power to find 
the ultimate like ecstasy and things that the majority of the world can't find joy from and that's so powerful and it's just like exactly and you appreciate like the same way you appreciate Mm -hmm. probably being able to drink out of a normal cup amazing and to eat some normal food and to go outside not in handcuffs Mm -hmm. like that I think, you know, this country is built off of second chances. Sure. They love a comeback story. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of ways, we were talking about off air, it's like, of course, it was all really bad. Yeah. And it is still bad, right? Mm-hmm. But like, if you're able to do it the right way, and I'm not trying to encourage you to, to, to go to crazy places. Sure. But if you're able to do it the right way, I'm sure mm-hmm. that you can, like, you can have your second shot and you're yeah. going to succeed in your second shot. Thank you. And I think that, you know, even when you talk about investors and you talk about other people, like, when I was first watching some of your interviews, right, mm-hmm. like Piers Morgan and stuff like that, it felt like, I don't want to say rehearsed, but like, yeah. you know, you got, you got to put on the, the, the persona mm-hmm. of remorse and stuff like that. But talking to you now, I genuinely feel like you want that second shot. Yeah. Do you feel it, like, do you feel it, feel it? Or is yeah, it like I, an act? I totally feel it. And I think one of the craziest things are these like mainstream media networks. It's so hard to be emotional. They basically put you in a hot seat. They're like, yeah. all right, camera's on. Yeah, four Morgan's minutes, go. Too. And they just fucking, they yell at you. So you just like clamp up. It's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like you can't, you're almost afraid to speak from the heart right, because exactly. they're scaring you so much. That's why like podcasts like this are going to absolutely just like destroy all these incumbent media platforms yep. because you get someone on here for 45 minutes or an hour, like they're going to open up way more than it's like being intimidated by some guy screaming at you and, for four minutes. And that's why, you know, I was happy to, that's why I want to talk to you too. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, I mean, look, Piers Morgan is Piers Morgan. Yeah. He does his thing, but that's why I wanted to know who you are. And, yeah. and, you know, through all the bad things you've done at the end of the day, like, and thank God we were saying this right before we got on. Yeah. Thank God nobody died. Yeah. For because sure. I don't even know if you'd be out right now if yeah, somebody died. Probably not. And like, yeah, like, I don't know if I could have gotten over the emotional, like grief right. if someone died and like there were, and, it sounds corny but like there were days where like at least i'm sitting in solitary and i just like feel like i'm a piece of shit i'm like like at least nobody got hurt right and yes people lost money but that's surmountable in a certain way i can't bring back someone who died like i that helped me get through some of the tougher nights last couple questions for you when you meet somebody new these days that Mm -hmm. doesn't know about fire i don't know if it happens yeah and you introduce yourself how do you how do you bring up the conversation of your last five years? Uh, I never like try to tell someone like, unless it's for business, if it's like a business purpose, I like, you know, no, so I'm super annoying about this. Like, hey guys, just to be transparent, just got out of jail. Like I start off every business conversation like that, assuming like they don't know, just so like no one can try to say I like duped them or whatever. Right. And then most of the time, like in the business sense, like they know already. So like never is a big deal. But yeah, in the social sense, it's weird because I don't want to be like, I'm bragging about it, right? So like I don't start with the topic, but if someone like asks, I just like, hey, I just got out of jail. What's the first thing you did when you got out of jail? Uh, I had to drive from Detroit to the halfway house in Brooklyn. So got on the phone for the first time in a while and just started making a bunch of phone calls. <laughs> did what, what, was, what was that first breath of air like? Fresh air. I kept thinking it was a joke. I'm like, hey, let's go. Let's go as fast as we can like, before they change their mind. But I'm sitting in like a, they have like a holding tank. It's probably the size of this room where I'm like in handcuffs waiting to be like processed out. I kept waiting for someone to come and be like, just kidding. Just, yeah. Like you got 20 more years for whatever the fuck they wanted to say. And like, I just didn't believe it until I'm like, I'm outside like with a mesh bag. And it's like, all right, let's get the fuck out of here. Do you think, do you think it was a fair sentence? Uh, I, I went through so many times where I thought I was over sentenced. Then I met guys who got way too much time and like under sentenced. Like 
I think like m- mentally and emotionally, um, if I had like two years, I think I would have an easier time becoming successful and adjusting to life. However, I think for the punishment, it was probably fair. It's just like, it's hard, you know, I, spending four years and 10 months total in solitary, like it's hard to come back from that. How good were your lawyers? I don't know. I, I think like, I think I was the world's worst client. So it's like, really? well, I mean, I'm just like oh, guilty and it's like an idiot. Like, yeah, it's like, you know, there, there's nothing they could have done. Like, doesn't matter who I had, but I think they did, they did a good job for what they were given. Finally, when, when you think about the next, like, what do you hope your life looks like when you're 41 years old and 51 years old? Yeah, I think for me, it's like redemption where it's like, hey, not only did I pay people back, but now the people who I hurt the most are calling me when they need help. Like that would be like the coolest personal accomplishment where someone right now is refusing to talk to me because they feel like I fucked them in 20 years. Like they need something and now they call me like I won. Like that's my goal. And lastly, when you when it's all said and done, yep. when people hear the name Billy McFarland, what do you hope that they, they think about? He just fucking went for it and pulled that shit off and he didn't quit. And like for all my flaws, like I don't quit and I keep going. And I trust that if I keep going in the right capacity, something good at the end of the day will happen. I agree. And uh, yeah, I want to, I mean, look, I want to, I want to first thank you for, for coming on. I want, it's hard, you know, to, to some people might be like, oh, fuck this guy. Mm-hmm. Fuck Felix for how, you know, all, all the backlash. Yeah. But I think at the end of the day, if you're able to truly do it the right way, you know, like everybody, like I'm rooting for you, you yeah, know, and I think you. everybody in this room's rooting for mm-hmm. you. And, and, you know, as long as you can, you can, for me, it's like pay those people back, specifically in the Bahamas. Yeah. You know, when I see, and you, when you watch the doc, I think it'll hit you as well. The woman who talks about her $50,000 of her life savings, yeah. you know, um, trying to cover your ass basically. Mm-hmm. And the other people that worked their asses off when when they knew, those are the people I personally care about. Yeah. You know, I'm sure that you do as Me well. Too, 100%. And, you know, I think if you can do that, the investors you'll take care of. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I'm rooting for you. And I think that, you know, and some people might hate hearing yeah. me say that, but um, I think that you have you definitely have these skills and mm-hmm. the qualities that will allow you to do it after if you do it is, is yeah. kind of up to you. But uh but thank you, man. I appreciate you coming on. Let's do a follow-up after all the workers are paid back in full. Exactly. I think that'd be a pretty cool like moment in time. So, I agree. Yeah. And then I there. think I think once you we'll do it, we'll do a follow-up then. Yeah. And uh and then lastly, mm-hmm. so once those people are taken care of fully, yeah. there is another music festival in the works. There has to be one. And it can't be while I'm on probation, so it's not gonna be like this year or next year, but and my goal is to make a festival that's totally not based on revenue where I just fund the whole thing from business success elsewhere, invite people who should have been there before and just like make it the best weekend of their lives. Like no one's paying for anything and it's kind of like a way to get back and just like make that cultural moment in time where it's Fire Festival 1.5 because the first one was half done. Everybody just has a blast. And I hope, and and then from that, yeah. two requests. One, yeah. I want to go. Yeah, you're there. And two. Hold me to it. I will hold you to it. And two. I want to make sure that that woman and those yeah. guys from the Bahamas, not only, not only are they there, but they're also compensated and some. I love it. Yeah, I think it's a great idea. You know what I mean? Great idea. So that at the end of the day, and then the investors, you know. The, this time, no wristbands with money. No everything, risk, everything, everything is just like, everything just there. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? I know you can make it happen. Felix, thank you. Appreciate you, man. Let's do it. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Appreciate fun. you. Yeah.